Alright, let's cut the shit and get straight to it. Welcome to Monochrome. It feels like it's been ages since I've recorded, but that's just because this week has been crazy. I've had this script written up, these notes written up for a week. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just been crazy. It's just been crazy. Either I'm old and I fall asleep before I have time to do like anything, <laughs> which sucks because I don't want to be old. I don't want to be old. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Anyway, um, it's 12:44 Thursday morning. Let's see if we can get this done in a pretty quick manner, but also touch on everything we need to touch on. Probably not going to happen. So, when we last left off, Ichigo was ending up in uh, Kirinden, which is the domain of Zero Squad member Kirin uh, Tenjiro Kirinji. And he was getting fixed up, bathing in his hot springs, trying to get back to uh, normal. And uh, there's some movements in the Seireite. There are some there are some things starting to happen. Things are starting to take shape. So let's dive straight back in. We begin with Vice Captain. Vice Captain Issei from Squad 8. I don't think we've met her yet. She doesn't do a lot. She'll be... She'll be of importance later. Let's just say that. Just hold your horses. Um, we start with Vice Captain Issei knocking on Captain Kyoriku's door. And she just kind of barges in when he doesn't answer because... You know, she's kind of annoyed by his antics. She's scolding him, which is per her usual. But then when he comes in, he takes a serious tone and he says that it may be goodbye for them. And then we see that he's reading a letter. The person to the right has been appointed as Gote 13 Captain Commander and Division 1 Captain. Shunsui Jiro Sogurasuke Kyoriku. What a name. What a fucking name this guy has. Like, look at him. Of course he has four names. God, that, that's, that's huge, though. That is a massive promotion. So, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, Unohana is also old. She's, I, she's older than Kyoriku and Ukatake, but... This this is the guy. This is the guy that is meant to take over. And it's kind of like, I mean, you see these, like, flashes of brilliance. You know he's really smart and he's got a handle on everything. But also, you kind of wonder, isn't he too much, of a, too much of a goof? Too much of a slacker to take over everything? He's less than impressed with this news, obviously. So, we will see what happens with that. Back in Kirinden, 
Ichigo is submerging himself underwater, but fails to stay under before counting to a hundred. It's something Karinji is, you know, yelling at him and berating him, saying even a kid could do this. I guess it's something, I don't know if this is a Japanese thing or just, uh, I don't know, just a thing that I never did, but apparently you're supposed to, like, stay in the bathtub, count to a hundred. I guess that's how you get kids to take a bath. This might be a Japanese thing. Again, things that could be lost in translation. Um, so then uh, Kirinji's assistants, these two big buff dudes in glasses, Kazuo and Kazuhiro, they put Ichigo back under. So they then obviously have trouble keeping him down because Ichigo is highly spirited, we'll say. When Kirinji stops them, and he punches Ichigo, like, in the face, hard and good, and punches him a good distance away. And when Ichigo gets up, of course, he's angry, and Kirinji tells him he's healed, because otherwise the punch would have killed him. And he says it's time to send him on his way. Suddenly, Rinji rises out of the water as well and says he's going to. Karinji goes to punch him in the gut, but it doesn't even blast him off. It doesn't even budge him. He does tremble a bit, and Karinji makes a note of that. But Rinji doesn't budge. So he sends him as well. He's like, fine, you go to. And then after they're blasted off, Karinji tells his assistants they can shed their wet clothes which reveals many, many injuries, bruises, and just, they're, they're banged up. And they say that you have to wear protective robes when you're in the pond. Otherwise, your body would erode and rupture from the extreme healing. And Karinji says those two exceeded his expectations, especially Ichigo. He points out Ichigo reflexively struck his hand when he hit him, fracturing it. I have looked at that panel many times and I can't, it's not something that's obvious if it's actually drawn out and shown. It's not something that's obvious, but that's a really interesting detail. And all this is taking into account that Kirinji is what's formerly known as Lightning Tenjiro. Remember how he snuck behind Soyphone so fast? He's, like, fastest gun in the West. Period. So, he says it's no wonder the Soul King is obsessed with Ichigo. Now, back in Soul Society, the Seirete, rather, Central 46, Kyoraku is proposing keeping two vice captains, Third Seed Okikiba, who knows Division One's affairs, and Issei, who knows him. And knows how to handle him. Which makes sense. Now, Central 46. I don't think that concept has been really explored. I think they're kind of like a governing, like a mass governing body in the, uh, in the Soul Society. Like, big actions have to be brought to them. And they're kind of, they kind of give a yay or nay on something. And it seems on certain things, even the captain commander has to kind of bow to their will 
Um, so when they try to deny that movement, he says the power to a point lies with the division captain. Does it not? They shut up after that. And then he just kind of continues on. He's see, he's great. He's a great leader. He continues on basically saying, okay, so since that's out of the way and I've got my yes, he continues on that they're going to teach Kimpachi Zanjutsu. Um which I didn't actually look up what that is. I believe it's just the use. I, I believe it's just f- fighting with a sword, basically. I'm trying to type on my laptop, uh, my laptop keyboard, because my keyboard is right under my mic, and it is uh, it's a little clicky. It's just a little clicky. Um, hello. I guess I could have used my, uh, I guess I could have used my dang, uh, phone and used the fandom app instead of searching this on the computer, but I want to look at it straight up in my face. Zanjutsu is the fighting style for the Zanpakuto. Okay. That makes sense. It's one of the four basic thank you ads based ads. Get the fuck out of here. It's one of the four basic fighting styles of the Shinigami. It's shameful for a Shinigami to not master at least this technique. It is the specialty of Captain Kimpachi Zaraki of the 11th Division. Makes sense. So why would they have to teach him Zanjutsu if it's his specialty? We'll just hold on. He's missing some pieces. There's holes in his game. So, of course, Central 46 protests that why why would we want to make him stronger? We, we won't be able to control him. What happens if he ever swings his sword against us? Well, Kyoraku fires back that his power is crucial to their victory. And he's already picked out someone who's up to this task. He has chosen and assigned, remember, Kenpachi is a title, is basically a title that is passed down from generation to generation, if you will. He picks the very first Kenpachi, Yachiru Unohana. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. This is the same name as Little Yachiru. The same name as Little Yachiru. So, what we can infer, obviously, is that Retsu is not her real name. <laughs> That's a pretty easy one to pick out. This is this is crazy. Also, you this is where you start to really see Unohana's other side. She She's making some really sinister faces. She looks very scary at times. But we're going to be seeing more of her soon. Because remember, she's supposed to be teaching Kimpachi. 
Meanwhile, back in the palace, Ichigo and Renji are falling to their destination, arguing over who should land on the bottom, because obviously that's going to hurt more. Luckily, or unluckily, they find that Cone has stowed away in Ichigo's Shihakusho. So, <laughs> they inflate him somehow and use him to land safely, which is a good use for him. So their next move is to try and figure out how long Cone has been following them. When suddenly they're welcomed to Gatonden, I think that's that. Excuse my pronunciations. Obviously, Japanese is not my first or second or third language. I am probably butchering some of this. I'm trying. Uh, Gatonden, Bowing Pig Palace. They're welcomed with a slap by Kirio Hikifune, the big lady. So she proceeds to lay out this massive feast, which is met with great suspicion from both of the boys, but not from Cone. Cone is like, let's eat. Like, sometimes Cone can be kind of funny, but at this stage, I kind of just wish he wasn't here. I'm just going to say it. So, she blames this distrust on Uruhara, knowing that, you know, they're... Uh, Renji's not so much tight with Uruhara, but they're both quite uh, familiar enough with Uruhara. Um, then she explains that it's a palace of food, and they're there to get full. So they begin to eat, but Renji notices some disgusting things, like literally a giant, like, grub, a giant bug. But it all tastes amazing. So they keep eating. Hikifune goes to make dessert, and Ichigo has a moment where he questions if they should be doing all this. Like, he's like, we're taking a bath, we're eating, like, Everyone else down there is working hard, and we're up here, like, being pampered. And, of course, Renji, his response is, you dumb? <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. He points out that this is what they need to do before going forward. They got injured, so they have to bathe and heal. They need to replenish their energy, so they gotta eat. Like, this is all part of the process. So, Hikifune returns looking far smaller and more voluptuous than before, much to everyone's shock. She explains that this whole process is still training, but it's on the Soul King scale. And the healing and eating is to prepare them so they don't die in the next palace. And of course, they don't fucking recognize her. They, they're both like, um, excuse me, but who are you? So she goes on to explain that she uses all her spiritual pressure when she cooks. So she loses a lot of weight. She has to stay nice and fat or she won't hold up. Now, before they go, 
She also explains that each member of Zero Division has created some vital part or some vital component of Soul Society's history. Her creation is the temporary soul, which led to the Geekon guy. She points out Cone, or Cone is kind of highlighted when she mentions this. She explains the concept of Geekon, inserting a spiritual pressure different from one's own to elevate their power, which the food was packed with. She warns that the man from the next palace, Hudin, or the Phoenix Palace, Zoetsu Nimaya, who is one, unpredictable, and two, the creator of Zanpakuto. So now we're seeing somebody in somebody shadowed relaying that Ichigo and Renji have arrived. So we're seeing from the inside of Hooden Hooden I don't know. It's probably not a silent H. It's probably it's probably a loud H. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not good at this stuff. So they again used Cone as a uh, landing device, which is what he's there for, which is what he's good for. It's what he deserves. Um, God, am I too mean to Cone? I don't know. I, I thought he was funny years ago when I first read. Now it's like, nah, it's, it's, it's annoying at this point. Um, suddenly. All these spotlights go up, and a voice comes over a loudspeaker, just blaring, welcoming them. And Oetsu Nimaya makes his grand entrance. One of the most over-the-top, ridiculous characters that Bleach has ever created. These guys are varied and very interesting. Very silly in many cases. Hard to take serious. The only one that remains serious the whole time is Shutara. And I mean, even heard his name yet. The monk? He really, he has his back and forths. But <laughs> I can't talk no more about that. We will just have to see because, yeah, I know things that you don't know. So, there's numerous women there to greet them as well. Much to Cone's liking because Cone likes boobies and is very happy to see many of them. So. Oetsu goes in for a double high five, but Ichigo leaves him hanging. <laughs> he's, a, he's a goofball. So Oetsu then grabs his arms, puts his hands up, and gets his double high fives. So then he kind of notices that they're, quote unquote, no fun. They're just not up for this. They're like, what, what are we doing here? What, what are we doing? <laughs> he, he's kind of like, okay, so uh, you guys want to leave? And of course they say, no, we'd like to stay. 
So Owetu responds by saying that no, you guys have to ask like this. So he like gets down in a begging position, but then he like balances his lower body straight up. <laughs> and of course, Renji uh Ichigo's like, We're not doing that. We are not doing that. And Renji says, Give it a rest, man. Just it's all your pride. Let's do it. So they do it. And then Oetsu just pokes fun at him. He's like, he's like, hey, hey, girls, look at these idiots taking pictures of them uh, and stuff. And then all of a sudden, before he can be kicked by either Ichigo or Renji, uh, he's kicked by the girl from earlier who was telling him they've arrived. Her name is Mara. And she tells them to follow her. She leads them to a shack, which she says is the real Houdin. And um, that that fancy place that they come to is only there because Oetsu doesn't want to bring people to the real Houdin. And the people know that he lives in a shack, basically. So... She tells them to go inside. Inside, they find that there's no floor. It's basically all just like this wide open area, and it's like a pit. They fall in. And above, Oetsu gets a little serious. He's funny, because he's super goofy and super dumb, but then he gets like extra serious. And he's like, have you noticed that you haven't met a single soul reaper here? And then he says, they're all Zanbakuto. All Zanbakuto. The, the girls that you met there, everyone. If it wasn't me, then it was Zanbakuto. Very confusing right now. And he starts to wonder how they didn't notice the difference. But then he pulls out their broken Zambakuto, and he's and he's kind of like, oh, yeah, of course. You guys are heartless. He calls them heartless for breaking them. And he then breaks them even further, just smashing them together, saying that unloved Zambakuto become brittle. And he says there's such a thing as Zambakuto anger. And he goes on that if they get out alive, will consider fixing their swords. So we have a game. We have a survival game. We have a test. Uh, spoiler alert, we're not going to get to really see it because there's honestly something there's something, well, okay, there's something else important that we get to see which you... Trust me, you would rather see more of what we're about to get into than more of this. This gets handled, and once it's over, I'm kind of like, okay, I feel fine with that being off screen. Whereas the other thing is a little bit better. But let's just let's just go on. So there's something in the room with them, some things. Rather, some kind of 
full, like, all white things. And they've got mouths for eyes. I'm convinced that every single mangaka that exists could comfortably become a horror mangaka because they all do some kind of nasty, weird body horror stuff at some point. I mean, we're not even going to talk about Tagashi because the stuff he draws is horrifying anyways. Um, I mean, Mashima's drawn something. Kubo did this, which is just scary. Uh, God, they've all done some really jacked up stuff. They've all got some really, really jacked up stuff that they've drawn. This this is one of those moments for Kubo. Well, it's not that bad. It's it's just it's just extra creepy, extra creepy. So Oetsu goes on and says they're the ultimate zanpakuto that can become anything. The asauchi. This is a new concept. So it's not it's not like it's not too difficult to understand. So they're basically the nameless Sampakto issued to the soldiers of the Gote thirteen. They spend all their time with the Asauchi, imprinting their essence, the essence of their souls rather, into it in order to create their very own Zampakto. This is how you get Zampakto. It's basically a blank slate. Now, Oetsu says he creates each and every one, and he knows where they all are at all times. And he says the ones in the pit are angry about the way that Ichigo and Rinji use their Zanpakuto. And then he gets kind of like philosophical. He's asking them, uh, he says, um, it is, uh, he says, I mean, what is it? I mean, is it how you swing it? Is it how you hold it? No, 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 no. It's not in how you use it, but more fundamental. And he goes on to say they should suggest who's superior between an Asauchi and a Soul Reaper. And this is before the fight begins. This is where the fight begins, rather. Now, cut away. To some place different. Back in the Serete. Central underground great prison. Lowest level. Mukin. Suddenly, we see these two these huge doors open. And Kampachi enters this huge rocky room stating that it's a grand stage. And there's someone else there with him. And the person saying that this place is completely closed off and almost infinitely large. The perfect place for Kimpachi to swing his sword freely. And they say, uh, I mean, it's obvious who this is. I wrote it as if you might not know, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at the frame up, like, you, you know who this is. This is Yachiru Unohana. She's there. I mean, you, we just found out that she's the one who's going to have to 
get Kimpachi in, in working order. So we know. So she says, if not for these conditions, uh, non-criminals wouldn't be able to enter. To which Kimpachi scoffs, saying, if they didn't have power, they'd be criminals. Um, she's, uh, yeah, it, I guess it's not as easy to tell because she looks different here. This is how Unohana used to look. So, this whole time, she has had, it's very scary how the change happens because this whole time we've seen her, she has had her, her hair in a style where it's very long and it comes down and it frames her face and under her chin is wrapped in this giant braid that just covers the center of the front of her body. And she just has this very soft, motherly look. You know, like she looks kind, gentle. Now her hair is unbraided and she's just got these evil eyes. It's very dead and scary looking. And it's, it, it, it's one of those things. This is very effective. It's just like, what happened to her? What happened? How did you hide this this entire time? How did you hide her being the ultimate savage? Oh my God. It's really effective how they have her just switch. It's weird how the hairstyle changes everything. It changed Eisen. He took off the glasses. He slicked his hair back and he went from like, oh, well-meaning nerd to like super evil genius. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand how he did that, but he did. He he turned into a completely different person. It's unbelievable. So yeah, after that crack about um, after that crack about them being criminals, we see Unohana giving him a very sinister look. She's got a lot of those now, because I mean that's just how she looks normally. Everything else is up to this point has been an act. So she says this place is appropriate because he doesn't have any power. And she suggested it herself. And Kimpachi figured this. And then she goes, then she says that uh, he's awful talkative today. And she likes it better when he's quiet. Because her only scar aches when she hears his voice revealing a scar on her chest that was covered by her hair. And Kimpachi mentions his face scar as well. And he calls her by name. Her real name. Now, we cut to Kyoraku reading from some book. He says in the very first Gote 13, Unohana built the foundation of what the 11th Division was all about. Beforehand, she was the most notorious criminal in Soul Society. Show her command of the sword. She named herself Yachiru, which means 8,000 styles. He said he shouldn't have called it a lesson in swordsmanship because he knew that when they crossed swords, one of them would die. <sighs> That's unfortunate. 
Because it's like, we got to choose between Kenny who, like, come on, we did. he's not dying. He's not going anywhere. We're not losing Kenny. Or, or this new monster Unohana. I don't, you don't want her to go at this point. Like, there's so much you want to see and know. But, hey man, that's, uh, you can't, you can't change it. You can't change it. Will. <laughs> we'll just have to see, man. This is such an interesting part of the whole, of the whole, uh, of the whole freaking series. It's crazy. Um, it's very interesting how things kind of stack up at this point. Like, no spoilers, but spoilers, they're, uh, they're, you get a whole bunch of di different kinds of development for different characters. So, it's kind of time to buckle up. Because this is going to be a good stretch of um, interesting moments. Not right here. Right here, we've got something very important to deal with. After this, we're going to get to see, this is, uh, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but just know that in the near future, we're going to see a lot of development for a lot of different people. Now, let's get into this battle, which is really good. This fight is really, really good. I can't wait to see it animated, especially now, like trying to basically play-by-play uh, -play a fight from manga. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how well I did in trying to tell what's happening. So as the battle begins, we see Isane, uh, Unohana's vice captain, getting a letter and little, little Yachiru finding Kimpachi's eye patch. Have we explained the eye patch yet? The eye patch. So. Kenpachi Zaraki likes to fight. We know this. He is a beast among men. He, his soul, his, his spiritual pressure is so powerful. Um, I think I did explain that, that like, it pretty much incapacitated Ganju and Ichigo had trouble standing at first. But, he was able to somehow beat this guy. Um, Kenpachi, a lot of times, wears an eye patch. This eye patch is a device created to hamper his abilities, just to suppress his spiritual pressure. So when he takes it out, or when he takes it off, his spiritual pressure just overflows. It's monstrous. It is unbelievable probably the highest of anybody that we see in the whole series ichigo's might be higher i don't know there's different qualities and properties to to soul uh spiritual pressure like you know saying like you could say it's dense or heavy or anything like that it's kind of like ukiora's his spiritual pressure was so heavy that it rained down like a black 
green rain. Kimpachi is just kind of it, it was like static. Oh, it's, it, it was such a cool introduction to this guy. And then he had the little bells on his hair, like you would see him move in uh from far away, and uh the little bells on the end of his hair would just go ding 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 ding. And it's like, ooh, Kimpachi's here. Ew. Oh man. Remember back when Bleach was about ghosts? Fuck. It's different times. Different fucking times. Um, so yeah, the vice captains are mm, probably not super happy about what's going on. I know Isane is not, she's, she's sensitive. She cries. She's upset because she knows that this means that Unahana will probably not come back. And I don't know exactly what their dynamic is, but it seems, Unohana seems very motherly to pretty much everybody. She's like the mother that's super nice and benevolent but you don't want to give her shit or try her because as soon as you do she's gonna just give you a look and you're gonna be like yes ma'am because that's what happens every time and this is why because she gives off this aura um we don't have that context because we're real and bleach is a damn comic book so we get into it uh, Kimpachi goes for a stab, but Unohana jumps and lands on his wrist, ready to strike again. So Kimpachi does kind of like this rolling kick with his left. Like she's standing on his wrist and he kind of like does a kick with his, uh, with his left foot to knock her off, which I wouldn't expect Kimpachi to do. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen him do a kick. He just kind of swings his sword like a crazy person. Uh, so after they deflect some, after he deflects her, uh, they finally clash. She commends him for removing his eye patch from the start. He has not been, he came in without it, obviously. But she also says his capacity is apparent. She suddenly stabs him in the shoulder with some kind of blade and calls him weak. Um, and he pushes her back like a few yards, I guess. Um, and she notes that since he's swinging with one arm, it's hard to believe he's enjoying the fight because that's Kimpachi's whole thing. He just swings with one arm because remember he beat Noitora by using, uh, Kendo and he used both hands and he was able to just slice through, uh, his iron skin and wreck Noitora. So, Kimpachi then, you know, responds. He's like, what about you using a treat, a cheap trick like this to wound me? And then he screams at her that she's changed from the person he admired. And she scolds him for admiring the enemy during a battle. So, you're kind of seeing the, their, their connections are starting to kind of become more apparent. And they will become more and more apparent over the course of this fight. Um, so she pins Kenpachi to a wall, not physically pins him, but like back against the wall, sword to his throat. She says that she hasn't changed. She just couldn't use those cheap tricks the last time they fought. And she's, and Kenpachi asks, 
are you saying that I've gotten weaker? And then he kind of goes into it. He says, fighting her the first time was the first time that he felt fear and that battle was fun. So we're going to get to see little, little Kenny here shortly. He wonders if he'll die here before she stabs him in the throat. And then suddenly, he's back at the point before she stabbed him. And they continue to fight, though he's kind of, he's wary of what happened. He's, he, he literally is like, huh, whatever. And just keeps going, but in his mind he's like, I could have sworn she cut me. What happened? So, she says that he will not die. As he gets stronger with every battle he wins. And this is the limitation he put on himself. And it is also her sin. Cut back to Kimpachi regaining consciousness again. He's wondering how many times this has happened. He's kind of losing track of it. Um, he says he keeps losing consciousness and waking back up into the fight. He calls it nostalgic, remembering the last time this happened. When he fought Unohana as a boy. So now we get the flashback. Unohana early on as a captain. Searching for worthy foes. Um, under the guise of eradicating vandals to keep peace, her men are like her. Her man is like, um, we can't find anybody for you, and she's she just goes. So you realize my true intentions. He's like, well, yeah, and he keeps going on, and he says this pile of bodies represents your overwhelming, uh, your overwhelming shame that or the overwhelming shame that there's nobody. And she kind of looks at this and is like, how long has that pile of bodies been there? And the guy's like, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> they kind of have that moment of, well, if I didn't do it, then who did? <laughs> and on top of the pile, it's, just, it's a pile of dead bodies. Is a tiny little Kenny brandishing his sword, covered in blood, not completely soaked in it, but covered in blood. Terrifying. And like, he's been like this. He has always been like this. This is where you learn that this is how Kimpachi has been. This is what he does. Because no questions asked, he attacks Unohana, stabbing her in the chest, creating that scar. This is what he does. This is him. We don't see him any earlier than this. This is how he reacts. This is what he does. He has always been this way. He has always liked to fight. So now Unohana is reminiscing on their meeting. And she says that they were bored, searching for a foe. And that's why their swords clashed that day. She calls it bliss. So she's somewhat, she's like this too. Now back to the fight, Kimpachi is able to slash Unohana's arm. He notices he's now acting on reflex, and every time he comes back, he feels reborn. Unohana notices that he's restraining his powers during battle. 
That's why he barely he barely lost to Ichigo. Ichigo almost lost to him. And he barely beat Noitura. Because Noitura almost beat him. And then he pulled out Kendo and swung with two arms. Like he should have been. And just, just leveled him. If he'd have done that from the start, it wouldn't have been a fight. And she goes on that you learn the pleasure of battle on the edge during their fight. And she also notes that she was weaker than him, but he suppressed his powers to match hers. And in battle, he would do the same. But he would remove his limitations when he began to, when he brushed with death. And this is where she pledges to kill him over and over again and heal him until he returns to who he truly is. As he, you know, continues to slash, he gets her on the shoulder. So, this is kind of an obvious choice. For This makes it more clear that she, why she's an obvious choice for this, because she can heal him. She can kill him and then bring him back, kill him and then bring him back, because she has to beat it into him that he can't hold himself back anymore. It's got to be a difficult task because, I mean, that's, that's kind of what he does. Now, as Kimpachi lands his strike, Unohana lands one of her own on his face. Now, Kimpachi believes she thought he was dead, to which she responds that he should know why she mastered Kaido, the healing spiritual arts, as she's, you know, healing her shoulder. And then, Bankai, Minazuki, or All Things End, which, her Bankai is weird. This is one, this is one of the new ones we have to, Jesus Christ, why, why did I scroll up and see Willem Dafoe? Okay, love the ads, guys. No, really, it's for this for the Northman, and there's um, <laughs> there's there's an ad for the movie Northman, and I'm fine with that. But like, I scrolled up and I saw like a bearded Willem Dafoe. That's not what I want to see by surprise. It's not something I want to see when I'm not expecting it. Okay, so, oh my goodness. So, let's see. Oh my lord. Does it explain it? Does it actually not? Huh. Interesting. See, I thought... I thought... Hmm. Okay. I thought this was... Because, see, originally I thought that her Bankai had been released before. And it was shown as something different. Oh, that's... 
that's neat. And there's a little clip from uh from the Hoikomundo art when when Unohana was leaving with Ichigo when she was helping him out. And it's like you you notice that her um her braid never ever moves. You never get to see behind it. It's really cool. It's really is I mean it, I wouldn't say it's a big detail or anything. We don't know cuz there's a lot of people that say Kubo makes stuff up. Um so apparently this is the Shikai. I I, I was always under the impression that she released Bankai way back in the day and it was this Manta Ray thing. And then she did Bankai again. But apparently the the Manta Ray is her Shikai. Let's see, its release command and the process of its transformation is unknown. In its Shikai form, Minazuki becomes a giant green, one-eyed, manta ray-like creature that can be used for transportation, with the ability to fly and sprout a pair of legs to land upon. It's very weird. It's very weird that her Shikai is that, but her Bankai is something entirely different. So, her sword becomes covered in this dark, red, thick liquid, like blood. Yeah, okay. Good to know that it's 645. Actually, it is good to know that it's 645. Uh, I completely lost my place there. Dugga, 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 dugga. Where are we? Where are we? I'm completely lost. There we go. Um. So yeah, her sword becomes covered in this dark, thick liquid, and it seems to overtake the entire environment. She then states, playtime is over, and they begin to fiercely clash. Now's where it gets weird. Um, I'm going to look. So, I didn't hit record again. I did not hit record again. So I've been talking for like an extra, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, and all of it is gone. So I guess I'm just going to have to uh, try and breeze through it. So um, we've, we've I've got some things here. This whole time, I thought Unohana's Bankai was, there's this manta ray thing that she used a long time ago. And I guess somewhere, somewhere it was revealed that that's her Shikai. Um, basically, it uh, becomes a giant green one-eyed manta ray who has like healing stomach acids so she can put people inside the manta ray to heal them um so yeah this whole time i thought this was her her bankai it is not it is her shikai her bankai is the same name as her her zanpako it's just minizuki but i think the regular name is Flesh Drops Gorge. But then they rearrange the kanji to say all things end. Another thing, lost in translation to English. And I also thought this was very strange because um, Kimpachi, at this point, he starts to notice. Uh, well, first of all, 
her sword becomes covered in like this thick red liquid, which kind of overtakes the entire environment. And she then states, playtime is over. And they begin to clash. Now, Kenpachi says he's melting away. And we see him and Unohana both kind of skeletonized. I thought that this was never really a confirmed thing, but everyone just kind of thought. I don't, I don't know if it's been super, like, confirmed, confirmed, but on the wiki it states that this is a corrosive acid in contrast to the healing properties of the stomach acid of the manta ray. So. Uh. Yeah, I guess that's what's happening. Like, I thought... Could this be a metaphor or imagination? But I think it's, I guess it's real. And she's just healing both of them. So I kind of feel like I have to yada yada some stuff and just plow through this to get back to where I was because I lost like 25 minutes and this, this needs to get done. I've been wanting to do this all week. And between kids waking up, me falling asleep, and all manners of other things. I tried to just tweet, even though nobody's following me on Twitter. And Twitter crashed. This this is the episode that cannot be made. <laughs> so, Kenpachi says that everything's different. Because up until now, he's been asleep. He's been simulating this exchange in, in his dreams. But he now knows that this is truly what battle is. Unohana realized how much he loved battle. Before he even did. He would suppress himself. To enjoy fighting forever. And she learned to heal to the same end. But she's sure the power she gained. Was for this moment. And there can only be one Kenpachi in an era. She says that when the strongest finds the next strongest. They either aim to kill them. Or nurture them. She knew he was worthy of being Kenpachi from their encounter when he was a child. And she declares him the one man in the world who could bring her joy. As he finally lands a fatal blow through her chest. She commends him and bids him farewell as he removes his sword from her chest. And Kenpachi, distraught, he cries out and screams. She says he's like a child just before she dies. To herself. She doesn't say it to him. He's screaming because he's not satisfied yet. He's not done. She's the she's the ultimate worthy opponent. Unohana, before dying, notes that he's regained his strength and that his battles may become boring yet again. But now he has rivals in the likes of Ichigo and Renji and Byakuya and worthy opponents in the Quincy's, and a partner who has awakened alongside him. She truly passes the title of Kenpachi over as she finally passes on. And suddenly, Kenpachi hears a voice, someone who's been by his side longer than anyone, his Zanpakuto. And it tells him his name. We don't get to hear it. Not yet. So there's a hell of a cliffhanger. Massive cliffhanger. And the chapter is not even over. We're in the middle of this chapter. So back in Hooten, it's been 71 hours, 48 minutes, 3 days. 
three nines. Oetsu declares Rinji has passed the test, and Ichigo has failed. This seems to happen all the time when the a side character will pass and a the main character will fail some kind of test. Usually it's because they need more training. Like in this case, Ichigo's got something that's missing. But then it also kind of plays them out as like a genius almost, I guess. It's like there's plenty of kids that were not good in school. Like they got bad grades. They didn't pay attention. They didn't apply themselves. Like I'm no genius. I didn't apply myself in school though. I got to a point in high school where I just kind of coasted and I was an average student, student, but I could have been better. When I got into something I really liked, I got into it. Like when I got into chemistry and organic chemistry, I got A's because I enjoyed it so much, but other subjects I just didn't care about. I failed English because I simply would not read the material they gave me to read. I didn't want to read the books they asked me to read. Um, so there's, there's multiple ways to look at things like this. So Ichigo asks for more time, but Oetsu says there was no time limit, but it's more of a feeling limit. He's got an interesting way of putting things. Ichigo was not chosen by the Asauchi. He says, it's simply put, Rinji is a soul reaper and you are not. So you have to go home. Oetsu digs the knife in deeper. He calls Ichigo a fake soul reaper. Says he can never return to soul society and says he won't fix his ungetsu before just snapping him away. And after that, he says Ichigo just isn't there yet and that he has to get back to his roots and learn his past. Even if knowing his past means he can never return. Ooh, more ominous words. So Ichigo finds himself outside his family clinic, back in his true body, which is confusing because he left it at Urahara's shop. So he figures Urahara brought it back, but he remembers he's still in Hueco Ishin comes to the door, Ichigo's father. But Ichigo's run away by the time he gets there. He runs to uh, his old boss's house, Ikumi. He was working for her during, I think, I can't remember, I think it was the Fullbringer art. He was working for her, but he was always late to work. Um, she berates him for showing up in such a state. Nichigo feels like he's failed everyone, and he can't even face his own father now. So, after she has him take a shower, and after that, she tosses him a hot dumpling, and gives him his dried clothes because it's raining, and tells him to go home. Before leaving, Ichigo apologizes for barging in and flaking out on work so much. She responds by headbutting him in the fucking face <laughs> and telling him she considers herself a big sister to him and that no matter what's going on, if he's having a tough time, just come by. Then Ichigo mentions her age. She says something like, It's funny you consider yourself a big sister to me when you've got 10 years on me. She goes to kick him in the head with the he blocks. His reflexes are good. Now the doorbell rings, but 
nobody's there when Akumi goes to answer it. At least she doesn't see anybody. Ichigo sees his father in his soul reaper garb standing before him. And he quickly rushes out to go home, accidentally leaving behind his substitute badge. Now Ishin being himself, he tries to play coy, but Ichigo tells him to cut the shit. He tells him that Ishin tells him that Uruhara told him what happened in Soul Society, and Ishin's not surprised as Ichigo knows nothing about himself. So, of course, Ichigo grabs him by his collar and gives him this look of, what are you people talking about? Everyone says I don't know myself. What the hell do you mean? It, it really is a desperate look. For once, it's it's not just a look of anger or frustration from Ichigo. He's he's literally desperate. He's like, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? What am I missing? And I don't think he even says anything. He just looks at him. Ishin tells him it's time to learn of his past. He says Ichigo is not a soul reaper. But he is, an, he is an extraordinary human. And that his mother is something. He cuts, he's cut off. And we see a, a short little flashback with a younger Ishin and a young Masaki Kurosaki, Ichigo's mother, meeting. He's hurt. She's checking on him. He introduces himself and she says, Oh, I'm Masaki Kurosaki. I'm a Quincy. That's a lot to process. <laughs> so that means Ichigo is like half Soul Reaper, half Quincy. We're getting into his origin stories here. Um, it's it's interesting. This section is kind of called, uh, was it Everything But The Rain? Where you get a very, a, a, rel- a relatively long flashback. It's nowhere near as long as like the Odin flashback in One Piece, but you get a relatively long flashback detailing Ichigo's kind of past. Well, not his past, but his origin, if you will. Okay. So, back in Huden, Oetsu noticed that Rinji knew Ichigo wasn't ready. Because Rinji never protested. And he states that there's never been a soul reaper that awakened their Zanpakuto without an Asauchi he forged. And he says it's obvious this method wasn't going to work for Ichigo. And he had to find the whereabouts of his soul. It's heavy. So we now go into the flashback. Rangiku, 10th Division, uh, Vice Captain, you know. <sighs> the one with the big... The one with the big boobs. Jesus Christ. <sighs> you just, I, I, I knew someone out there was going to be like, what? Who? <sighs> Titties. Jesus Christ. She is still, this is some time ago. She is still 10th Division Vice Captain. She's searching the Seirei tape high and low for her captain. Finally finding him in a tree. Knocking him out of it with a tray, and dragging him to work. And this, 
work shirking, just not degenerate, but this this layabout lazy guy. Tenth division can, uh, captain Ishin Shiba. Remember earlier, I talked about Kukaku Shiba and Ganju Shiba, and they mentioned Uncle. I don't know if I think this might be the point where it's truly revealed that Ishin is a Shiba. So that's why when you look at Kayan Shiba, who died and ended up being used as the ninth Espada's little body to fight Rukia, there's a reason they look exactly alike. It's because they're they're cousins. They are very they are related. Um So they get back to the 10th Division Barracks where third seat Hitsugaya, yeah, that Hitsugaya, is finishing the paperwork the captain should be working on. <laughs> and of course, he praises him for, he picks him up because he's like a little kid and he's like, oh, look at my future captain. And then Rangiku and Toshiro, they kind of argue over who will be the next captain because obviously Rangiku is vice captain. But Toshiro is the one doing all the work. So, you know. So, Hitsugaya kind of cuts that shit and brings up a report from two months ago of a Soul Reaper dying in an accident in a small town called uh, Naruki. He notes that the reports from last month came in and they showed two more deaths of unknown causes. Ishin immediately leaves to investigate and shirk his work. Again. Rangiku tries to uh, pursue him, but Toshiro stops her, explaining that the captain knows that this mission is going to be dangerous, and they would just get in his way. It's one of those things, like, he he's one of those characters that always seems like he's doing stuff for silly reasons, but he's smarter than, he's smarter than he looks. He's smarter than he puts on. It's kind of like uh, Urahara. Those two are tied together in ways. And then we get to see a command center of some sort. And we see Gein, younger Tosin, giving a status report to Sosuke Aizen. He says they're conducting holification experiments while trying to smoke out the visors. In particular, he mentions uh, Shinji. And we'll finish this off with Aizen saying one of his famous catchphrases. Everything is in the palm of their hands. Technically, all according to the, all according to plan, all according to the, what is it, Keikaku? Anyways, um, that's more so his catchphrase, but this is the same fucking thing. So there we go. Aizen is, uh, Aizen's doing stuff. They're making moves, even back in the day. They've been doing it for a long time. This is between Turn Back the Pendulum and present day. So the visards are banished. He's trying to find them. And Ishin is going to figure out what has been happening and why why they've been losing soul reapers to unknown causes. Some nice air quotes there. Well guys, uh it took freaking forever, but we did it. We're here. We got it. This episode's in the books. Um, I have to go shower and go to work. Um, 
if you like monochrome you like what i do um don't subscribe to my patreon because i don't have one yet i don't know if I'll, i guess i'll make one at some point we'll see it's not huge on my list right now um follow me on twitter at monochromanga all one word uh yeah just uh yeah i guess with this show uh i guess there won't be i guess really what we're gonna say is there was no episode last week for my other show last week's episode came out like a couple days ago and next week there will be no episode for my other show for this show we're no we didn't have an episode last week and i'm just gonna set this to come out um on saturday i guess so i mean i might as well i'm halfway through the week that way i'm not uh that way i don't know i guess i could do that or really no i'm gonna go ahead and put this out and then next week there will be no episode next week there's just not going to be an episode i'm going camping i'm not going to be here for the weekend and then i'm i'm not gonna try and catch up to make another app i haven't even written anything i wrote all of this last week and here i am halfway through the week i've written nothing for next week so yeah no episode next week um once I get back from camping, I guess I'll hit the ground running and try to prepare for this show and both and the other show to try and be prepared. But anyways, I guess I'll see you guys next time. Not next week. I guess the week after that. I'll just say next time because time is uh, time is a construct construct. It's stupid and it doesn't exist. See you next time.